tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello. I'm I'm sorry. It's going to be obscure again today because we're still talking about Melchizedek, and you got to understand this Melchizedek stuff. He was, you know, we think, oh, Melchizedek, meh. No, 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 no. Melchizedek was very important in the in the uh, uh, religious sense of people at the time of Christ. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations. By the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, all right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. And again, did did oh yes, of course, uh, yes, I yes, I had a big book on the coffee table, and my mother would actually sit me on her lap and show me the pictures. So I got into the Bible pretty early. Everyone says Catholics don't read the Bible. We did. Oh well, but let's get back to the Bible. Mark the third chapter, the seventh verse to the twelfth. Actually, we had a lot of Bibles. We all had to have our own personal Bible by the time we were in grade school. And I remember I, I was given a ch- children's Bible, beautiful illustrated thing by by a fellow named Piet Worm. I wonder where they are now. They're, I'm sure they're collector's items. But I'm digressing a lot here. Jesus withdrew, this is Mark 3, 7, toward the sea with his disciples. A large number of people followed from Galilee and Judea, hearing what he was doing. They came from Jerusalem, Idumea, the Jordan, Tyre and Sidon. <clears throat> And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, so they they would not crush him. He cured many, and as a result, those who had diseases were pressing upon him to touch him. And whenever an unclean spirit saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. He warned them sternly. I'm going to use that warned sternly for the word of the day today, uh, so I'm not going to talk about that. And, and, you know, this idea that he's telling the demons not to, to say anything. Uh, the, the, uh, but this idea, again, I'm just going to grind my axe here because I think it's, I think this is true. I have had so many people who I've even had scholars talk about this. You know, they defend the idea, the traditional idea of the Sermon on the Mount, which has Jesus standing up there on a hill and all the people are ranged about him artistically and going down the hill and he's speaking to them. I don't think that ever happened. 
That's what is being described here. That's called the Sermon on the Plain in the Gospel of Luke. The Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Galilee, <clears throat> is, as I've told you before, below sea level. And the incline down toward the lake is pretty sharp. And it creates these natural amphitheaters. And people would range themselves in these up on the hills. And Jesus, standing on the shore, would speak to them. But things got kind of dicey because they realized that he could actually heal the sick. And I, I will never forget, I was at a, uh, oh, I might as well just tell the story as it happened. I, I um, There's a, a friend of mine in seminary who um, uh, was having a great crisis of faith. And I said, you want to go to a prayer meeting? You want this? You know, I said, no, there's, but there's this one person who interests me that I've heard on the radio, Catherine Kuhlman. I thought, Catherine Kuhlman? She's a very controversial figure. Some people think she was a charlatan. Some people think she was a saint. And if you read her autobiography, uh, well, her authorized biography, she's a little bit of both. But I thought, he wants to hear Catherine Kuhlman. I said, fine, we'll go to Pittsburgh. That's where her, her head home church was. And we got there, oh, about two, three hours before uh, the doors opened to this church and there was a crowd there. And if you didn't get there hours early, you didn't get in. I mean, there was a bunch of little old ladies who had interlocking arms and they were going to get the front seats. And it was just, it was, it was dangerous. So when the rumor goes out that you can heal the sick, all bets are off. So Jesus would actually have to stand in a boat so people couldn't get at him. But this is, this is where Jesus addressed the multitude from the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. When he wanted to be alone, he went up the mountain with his disciples. That's what we read about in Matthew, the fifth chapter. Now, people may have eventually followed and discovered him, but he wanted alone time with his disciples. And I think this is an important biblical uh, uh, principle, that Jesus wants alone time with his disciples. If you are always doing ministry the ministry is going to go stale and it may even become an, an idol. Ministries can become idols. Um, uh, that, 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 that you, I, I've seen so many, <laughs> another story. I remember uh, back again, in the good old Pentecostal days of my youth, we had a prayer meeting that was huge, a youth meeting. And, oh, this was great. Well, <laughs> it was the only place that, uh, young Spanish-speaking girls could go unchaperoned was to church. And uh, it was a meeting of four or 500 young people, but (laughs) they weren't necessarily worshiping God in the cheap seats. So I needn't go into it. But, uh, but of course, we thought this was wonderful. We had to keep the ministry going. Well, eventually, the cloud of glory moved on. And there were actually more, more people in the choir than in the congregation. I said, this is ridiculous. We, we have to, uh, um, adjust to this and really work on, on, on another model for our, our community, those who are really committed to this 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 community of, 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 of people, you know. And no, 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 they're all coming back. They're all coming back. They didn't come back. You know, we, we, we get into a ministry, we get ourselves rooted, and it can't change. Well, Yes, it can. The cloud of glory moves on. In the letter to the Hebrews, elsewhere, we read about those who did not follow the cloud. Uh, when it moved, they, their bones bleached in the desert. So this idea of, of uh, uh, 
I don't know how I got off on that, but this idea of, of never being alone with the Lord, just, just, you know, everything's about the ministry. No, it's not. It's about, it's the Lord whom you serve. Uh, if you can't hear him, then you can't serve him. Well, we know how to serve God. We'll do this and this. No, you serve God by doing what he asks you to do. And if you never listen to him, well, how's he going to ask you? So I think there's a very biblical, very important biblical uh, principle manifested in this reading that Jesus uh, ministered to the crowd, but then he went up the mountain uh, to preach the word and to share the mysteries of the kingdom with his disciples. So if it's all ministry, you're not doing it right. If it's all prayer, well, I have a prejudice to all prayer can accomplish more than all ministry, but it's a good balance of both. All right, let us go to Hebrews. Oh, dear you got to look at the whole chapter 7. So let's let's zone back to the chapter, the whole chapter. This is about Melchizedek. Again, chapter 7, verse 1. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God Most High, met Abram as he returned from his defeating of the kings and blessed him. And Abram apportioned to him a tenth of everything. His name first means righteous king, and he was also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. Now, verse 3, this is chapter 7, verse 3, without father, mother, or ancestry, without beginning of days or end of life, thus made to resemble the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. What? Uh, that, that, uh, um, this, is, this is really Talmudic. Are we ready? This is a note from the USCCB site. Without father or mother, ancestry, without beginning of days or end of life. This is perhaps a quotation from a hymn about Melchizedek. The rabbis maintained that anything not mentioned in the Torah does not exist. Consequently, since the Old Testament nowhere mentions Melchizedek's ancestry, birth, or death, the conclusion can be, remained that he remain, can be drawn that he remains forever. Huh? Yeah. Now, very interestingly, we look at uh, the... I always like to take a look at the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's always good for a laugh. In scroll 11Q13, uh, or 11Q Melchizedek, is a fragment of text dated to the end of the second or start of the first century BC. This is just before the time of Christ. It's about Melchizedek, found in Cave 11 at Qumran in the West Bank. Melchizedek is seen as a divine being in the text and is referred to as El or Elohim, titles usually reserved for God. According to the text, Melchizedek will proclaim the Day of Atonement. He will atone for the people who are predestined to him. He will also judge the peoples. The early Christian church took this as a prophetic indication of Christ. Now, somebody wrote in a day or two ago, she's very confused by, well, Abraham worshipped the one true God, and Melchizedek is a local high priest, and, and Abraham goes and he tithes to him and what's going on here well abraham didn't worship yhwh the lord but he worshiped god the most high el elion that's what i believe it says in the text but same 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 thing same thing so this idea of of worshiping the god of israel okay we'll worship the god of israel we just don't think he's the only god um Whereas Abraham's insight was, uh, what was revealed to Abraham was this was God. All right, but this idea of, of an, an ending life for Melchizedek, well, that's very interesting because it, it, uh, it explains what you got to understand that to see what's going on in this passage. So, uh, um, 
then he goes on to talk about how Abraham tithed and Levi, uh, uh, Aaron being symbolically in the loins of Levi, Aaron was from the tribe of Levi, and Levi being in the loins of Abraham, being Abraham's great-grandson, Aaron himself tithed to Melchizedek, Levi tithed to, tithed to Melchizedek, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, thus Melchizedek is, is um, uh, superior. Verse 6 of this chapter we read, But he was not of their ancestry received tithes from Abraham, and blessed him who had received the promises. In verse 7 of chapter 7, unquestionably, a lesser person is blessed by a greater. Okay. Obscure, no? All right. Well, let's look at today's reading. It is fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, higher than the heavens. He has no need as to the high priests to offer sacrifice day after day, first for their own sins and then for those of the people. Now, remember that the sacrifices of the law did not forgive sin. They atoned for sin if that sin was an involuntary uh uh, an involuntary, uh, um, uh, well, I can't think of the word, uh, an involuntary, uh, not infliction, affliction, refliction. Well, I, I can't, oh, let me think of in Spanish, un delito. I can think of it in Spanish, the mind's going. Um, it, it, an involuntary infraction. That's what this is, the cheese slipping slowly off the cracker. Infraction. And in the, 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 the sacrifices of the law atoned. In other words, made up for, reconciled you to God for involuntary infractions against the ritual law. If you ate pork involuntarily, well, there was a sacrifice for that, that sort of thing. If you uh, didn't uh, sacrifice something the right way, <laughs> you know, involuntary. All right. Uh, the law appoints men subject to weakness, a high priest. Now, we read Peter's, Peter saying in the Council in Jerusalem, we weren't able to bear this law. It didn't do any good. We know that. And that's exactly what Leviticus is saying. It, it, it's not forgiving sins. Now, the main point of which has been said is this. We have such a high priest like Melchizedek, who is above the world. He's a heavenly being. He's taken a seat at the right hand of the throne and of the true tabernacle of the Lord. In other words, the real temple. Uh, that that What we have here is just a... A pattern. That's what we read. They, the if every every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. If he were on earth, uh, he would not be a priest. And that he is, of course, referring to Christ as as Melchizedek, since there are those who offer gifts according to the law. They worship in a copy and shadow of the heavenly sanctuary. Jesus, or rather. Uh, Moses was told to build the tent of meeting according to the pattern that he had seen on the mountain. And the idea was he had seen a vision of the heavenly temple, and he uh, made a, a copy of that, and then the temple in Jerusalem was copied from the copy. So they worship in a copy, a shadow of the heavenly sanctuary. As Moses was warned when he was about to erect the tabernacle, God says, see that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Now he has obtained so much more excellent a ministry. He is the mediator of a better covenant enacted on better promises. We got to unpack that. He is the mesitis, that's the word in Greek, of a better covenant. Um, people talk about, well, is Christianity uh, um, uh, negate the covenant with the Jews? Well, first of all, there is no covenant with the Jews. There's a covenant with Israel. 
uh, uh, there is a covenant with the house of David. But strictly speaking, there's no covenant with the tribe of Judah. There is a covenant with Israel, and that was made at Mount Sinai. Um, so, is that covenant superseded by Christianity? And I would say no. It is fulfilled by Christianity, we believe, and that's a different thing. You know, that, that what does the God's covenant with Israel promise? You will be my, I will be your God, you will be my people. That's the, that's the, that's the covenant. I will be your God, you'll be my people. That's it. It doesn't promise the forgiveness of sins, as we've been mentioning. Uh, God forgave sins, and a person could repent, but the radical and absolute forgiveness of sins that is preached by the cross of Calvary is, is not part, at least as Rabbi Lefkowitz would explain to me, it's not really part of, of, of the covenant with Israel. There are some things that should not be forgiven uh, in, in the minds of many people. And I, this is an important idea. It does not promise life after death. You can be a perfectly good Orthodox Jew without believing in the survival of death. It does not promise a resurrection, certainly, if it doesn't promise life after death. So we believe that we have obtained a better covenant enacted on better promises. That, that through Jesus, we have been given forgiveness of our sins. We have been given the promise of eternal life and even resurrection. Now, this is very interesting. Oh, I should stop. But he has obtained so much more excellent a ministry. The usual word for ministry is diakonia, table service. That's not the word. It's liturgia, liturgy. He has obtained so much more excellent a liturgy. Uh, what in the name of sweet heavenly glory is a liturgy? Well, it's a Greek word, and I, I always used to say, and I've, I've, I've learned better in recent times, that it meant work of the people. It doesn't mean work of the people. It means a service or a work for the people. And it, the liturgy in, in the Greek concept was, was a, a, a religious event uh, um, of public service. It, it, it could be... Uh, Putting on a a, a, a a drama about Greek mythology, it could be building a bridge for the town. It was it was uh, it was a, a a delegated work done for the people, and it came to mean in Jewish in the Jewish context, it came to mean te- the, the service of the temple, uh, um, that that. Um, that, that's what liturgy was. And so St. Paul here, or rather the author of the letter of the Hebrews, is talking about a more excellent liturgy. The liturgy of the temple has been sub, uh, superseded by the liturgy of the new temple. There's a new temple, which is the church. There is a new Jerusalem, uh, which is in heaven. There is no new Israel. I don't find that that phrase in scripture at all. But and the word mesitis means a legal arbitrator, a legal and binding arbitrator. He isn't a go-between. He isn't a communicator. He isn't a messenger, an angel. He is, Jesus is the, the arbitrator of the covenant. And so when people say, well, you shouldn't be having mass and offering sacrifice because only Jesus is the mediator. Well, yeah, Jesus is on our altar and he is the binding arbitrator. So that's what that word is. He is the binding arbitrator of a better covenant and acted on better promises. So I hope I've explained a little bit more about this very obscure stuff. But Melchizedek was, 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 uh, uh, this, this 
mythologized character who, who carried a lot of weight. So, all right, let us now go to a break. We will come back with fascinating letters. At least I think they're fascinating. And uh, 888-914-9149. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for Independent Thinkers at RelevantRadio.com forward slash Dallas. postman that means it's time for letters i got a letter from joanne uh about uh oh dear it's an anonymous it's there are lots of joannes in the world don't worry joanne i say to you rise good grief there's a phone ringing uh rise pick up your mat and walk Oh, good. Uh, right, no, good grief that the phone, an angel must have just gotten his wings. Um, I say to you, rise, pick up your mat, and go home. And this anonymous person <laughs> wants to talk about the part where Jesus says, go home. And he used the word for house, oikos, but a house was also a household. Go back to your home. You're, we, we have two different words for it. We have house and home. Like a house is not a home. That song couldn't be translated into Greek. I suppose they could put a building is not a home. But uh, the the house is the building. The home is the building with its components that make you comfortable. But it's ace oikon, which means to the house. Now, this is a very important idea because, you see, the the there were certain people who Jesus said, leave everything you have and follow me. There are other people who said, go home. Jesus seemed like, for instance, with the Gerasene demoniac, he said, I want to follow you. He said, no, go back to your, go back to your people. In other words, Jesus sometimes restored people to what they had lost uh, before he entered their life. Uh, this, the Gerasene demoniac thing is a good example. He had a home and family and a wife and children that he was to take care of. And presumably this man who had been paralyzed in Mark, the second chapter, um, uh, was in a similar situation. And I really think that the point of the Gospel of Mark is to is to take from the, what Jesus said and did to point out that he was, in fact, divine, the Son of God. And that's why Jesus would have said, go home. You, 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 you stay there because they've known you for years and they've known that you were crippled and they will know every time they see you walk by that the kingdom of God has drawn near. So I hope that helps a little. So, you know, this this idea of uh, giving up everything to follow Jesus, sometimes giving up everything to follow Jesus means you take care of your wife and kids. Uh, I've known a lot of people who think they have a calling. Yes, you do. It's to take care of your wife and children. If you are in a religious movement, in a prayer group, in something like that, no commitment like that. I remember there was a deacon um, <clears throat> 
who was felt he was in charge of the, all the Spanish prayer groups, and uh, he said, "No commitment takes precedence over over the, your prayer meeting, and not mass, not your family, not nothing." That's heresy. That was a disaster, because you see, a sacramental commitment, a sacrament. Remember, the word sacrament is a as a Latin word meaning oath to the death. A sacramental commitment is a covenantal commitment. And marriage and family are a sacramental commitment. Your membership in the in the Saint Dymphna Guild or in the in the uh, in the Guild of Left-handed Penitent Flagellants, uh, that is not a sacramental commitment, and so it does not take precedence over your obligation, the obligations that you uh, <clears throat> uh, took on when you were ordained or when you were uh, uh, married. Those are sacramental commitments. So. That's why Jesus said to some people, follow me. To other people, don't follow me. Go home. Witness to me where you are. Take care of what you're supposed to do. So, yeah. In the kingdom, one size does not fit all. Oh, where's my... I'm trying to buy a cough button so I can sneeze. I've sneezed. All right. I found it. Now that I've already sneezed, where was I? All right. Let us go back to other other uh, uh, letters. I think I did those. Um, let's see here. This is, uh, kneeling. Okay. Uh, during the consecration, many in my parish don't kneel. What is the correct method? All I can say is that in the United States, it is the custom to kneel at, uh, from the end of the Holy Holy to the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, and then to kneel again, uh, after the Lamb of God until the end of communion. That is the custom. Um, liturgists tried to change that. But the good sense of the faithful wouldn't go for it. Now, there are some people who refuse to kneel. Fine. So they refuse to kneel. Big deal. You kneel. I remember um, uh, when I was sent to uh, be the pastor of the church of what's happening now, when my first pastorate, the one where I wasn't welcome to say the main mass for the first three years because they had their own priest who did it right, didn't call Jesus Lord. There was the, the church of the groovy. As my, the voice in my head just said, well, when I came, a few people in the front started to kneel. And within three weeks, everyone but a few angry people um, were kneeling. And they were the standers were furious. How dare I? I did nothing. I didn't say people should kneel or stand. They went to the front, they knelt, and people followed their example. So you go to the front, you kneel. What if they took out the kneelers? Francis George of happy memory, Cardinal George. Uh, he was at a church where they had taken up the kneelers, and he said, you put those kneelers back in. I don't care if people stand or kneel, but by taking the kneelers out, you have tried to manipulate people, and I will not be manipulated, so don't you manipulate anyone. You understand? They were trying to force people to kneel by taking out the kneelers. If they've taken out the kneelers, kneel anyway on the hard floor. And if you can't kneel on the hard floor, bring knee pads. If you feel called to kneel, people drag you to your feet. Well, because they're they're liberal and progressive, point out to them, I, I don't mind if you stand. I just want to kneel. You know, it's just funny. There's an old saying, no one is quite so conservative as a liberal. But moving along, yes, the normal posture is kneeling in this country. All right, let's see here. Oh, and this is this takes me back again to 
the Church of the Groovy, of which I was pastor. This is Edwin from Los Angeles. Is it okay to say during the Mass that God is Father and Mother? <sighs> no, it's not. We we uh, never address God as Father in Church of the Groovy. Of course, I was not the celebrant of the Mass. Uh, the the um, It was uh, our Father, Mother, who art in heaven. In other words, God had gender issues, apparently. Um, this might take a little time, but that's never stopped me. Why do we call God Father? Well, because Jesus called God Father. Well, Jesus was a man of his times, and certainly the chauvinism of the time would not have allowed him to talk about a mother God and priestesses. Are you kidding? 20 miles down the road from where he lived, there were plenty of temples to mother goddesses, and there were plenty of priestesses. Uh, uh, he lived in a part, it was called Galilee of the Nations, because it was surrounded by Greek speakers. And he a short walk from his home, not even 20 miles, he could find a a Greek temple to a mother goddess. No, he called God Father because he experienced God as Father. What's going on there? Motherhood is is necessary. And by necessary, I mean no one ever says, now I don't mean to be crude, so forgive me, no one ever says, who's your mama? You know who your mother was. She was there. Uh, um, this, this idea of, of motherhood being necessary, that... There's no doubt as to who your genetic mother is. Uh, and and if, if your mother does it traditionally, you're hanging off her for the next two years. You are in close physical relationship to your mother for a few years. Your father, on the other hand, has a minimal participation in this if he chooses. In the ancient world, they understood this. You're only a Jew if your mother is a Jew. If your father is a Jew but your mother is a Gentile, then you must undergo a, a, a conversion ceremony, even as an infant. And the, the, uh, uh, the Romans and the Greeks understood very graphically that fatherhood is always adoptive. When a baby was born, that baby was put on the floor for the Romans in front of his father. If his father picked the child up, he was his father. If he turned and walked away, they literally threw the child in the garbage. They would do what they called expose the child, throw him in the garbage, put him in the forum for the slavers to get, or put him out in a hill where the wild animals could get the child. That's what they did. It was, we call it post-birth post, post abortion. Uh, barbaric. The the there could be no question that this was the genetic child of this man. But if he turned and walked away, it wasn't his child. He wasn't responsible. Even when it was clear that this child was not the genetic offspring of this man, if the man picked it up, he was his father and was legally responsible. And this was his heir. Fatherhood is always adoptive. Motherhood is always necessary. God is father because the church is mother and our blessed mother is the icon of the church. Uh, you know, home, the saying is, uh, was it from the death of the hired salesman? Home is where when you go there, they have to take you in. The church is a mother and to confuse the gen, to confuse God in this gender silliness, uh, is, 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 is to deny the maternity of the church. Those who see the church as an institution ultimately end up hating and betraying her. Those who see the church as a wife, a mother, a bride, uh, a family, 
they love her. I have never known a person who loved the Blessed Mother who didn't also love the church. I have never known a person who d despised the Blessed Mother. Oh, we don't despise the Blessed Mother. Yes, you do. By not calling her blessed, by not acknowledging her, you are looking down on her. I, that's what despise means, to look down. Uh, I have never known someone who, who looked down on the Blessed Mother who did not also hate the church. Oh, I love my church. Yeah, but have a fight with the pastor, you'll go start a new one. So at any rate, that's why it is not okay to say God is both father and mother. The scriptures sometimes talk about God with a maternal love, but God has chosen to be called father, that the church might be called mother. That's what I believe. Okay, I think... Well, let's see. Let's take a break. We got phone calls. Let's see here. Let's take a break. I think I need to calm down. You can, you can call in at 888-914-9149. Operator. I got lots of it, and I hope most of it is well true. That said, let us go to the word of the day. You know, there's a problem. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. And he warned them sternly not to make him known. They, they, they use that word sternly frequently in the Gospel of Mark, the, uh, in the story of the, of, the, of, of, the, of the leper. Oh, by the way, lots of lines opens, 888-914-9149, um, This is, we are live, at least, let me, wait, where's my pulse? Yep, I'm live, still got a pulse, but um, so do call in, 888-914-9149. Well, when the unclean spirits would fall down and shout, you are the son of God. You never hear the, the uh, uh, demon saying, you are the son of man. He's the son of God. They have no problem recognizing the divinity of Jesus. They remembered him from whom he was. But why? This is, this is sort of an extra word of the day here. But uh, before I get to the real word of the day, why did they call him son of God? Because... They have no problem with Jesus' divinity, provided Jesus will mind his own business and stay in heaven. It's when the Son of Man comes from heaven to invade the, the, the realm that the devil thinks he owns. That's when the devil gets upset. So Jesus is, he calls himself the Son of Man, talking about his divinity that has come to earth. The devil doesn't like that at all. So Jesus warned them sternly not to make him known. And the word for sternly there, to warn sternly is epitema. It means to admonish, to rebuke. Uh, it means to, to warn. Uh, why did Jesus not want the devil to, to go about saying, you are the son of God? Because there were lots of sons of God. Caesar was a son of God. Everybody was a son of God. And the tin horn dictator proclaimed his divinity uh, the Pharaoh of Egypt was divine. The Roman emperor was divine until the soldiers killed him and put in a new divine emperor. 
they weren't divine early on, but later on they arrogated divinity themselves. The point is, Jesus didn't say he was the son of God. He showed that he was the son of God. And, you know, that that Jesus didn't want people talking about how he was the Messiah or the son of God, because when that happened, uh, they would go home, get a sword, kill a Roman soldier, and the streets would run with blood. Jesus was saying, I am not what you're expecting. So he, he, he uh, censured them. He warned them, don't you go about saying this. Uh, and, and that's why it's called the messianic secret. Uh, all right, let us go to phone calls now. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Again, I'm not interested in your favorite color, but any question you might have about the Lord, the faith church and the big book on the coffee table, the Bible, which, uh, you can call in at 888-914-9149, but let us go to Catherine. Catherine from Sausalito. Oh, I've been to Sausalito. That's a nice place. Uh, I was was in Sausalito so long ago, it wasn't a nice place. It was sort of a beatnik dive. I was in Sausalito in the early 60s. So, but it's a nice place, though. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, What can I do for you? Yeah, Yeah. as long as the rain (laughs) has finally stopped. Uh, Yeah, well, praise God that you've needed it. I hope you don't have too much. California's always getting too little or too much. It's either forest yeah, fires or avalanches. Us. Yeah. Us. Now, yeah. how, how long have you lived well, in Sausalito? Uh, well, I was in San Francisco for 40, and now I've been in Sausalito for 10. Oh, so I'm, I wonder I'm if you old. remember a little place. I wonder if you remember a little place across from Sausalito called Juanita's. We needn't talk uh, about Juanita. Juanita's, we'll call it a restaurant. Juanita was famous for having broken a man's arm when she was not happy with him. I think it's gone now, but let's, that's long ago and far oh, away, boy. but let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm well, sure those things happened what, here. There's a lot oh, of yes. stories. Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, yes. Well, uh, what is well, your I question? Love your show. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you've dear. got a great sense of humor, which I appreciate. Oh, yeah, my question you. is uh, about the uh, apostles, um, James and John's sons mm-hmm. of Zebedee. Was, well, I'm trying to figure out who is the John that uh, was Jesus' favorite yes. and stood at the cross with Mary. Is that, could that be yes. one of the sons of Zebedee? Oh yeah, that was, that was the, one of the, the traditions. It's one of the sons of Zebedee. And you know, the, the idea of, of Jesus being close to John, uh, the son of Zebedee, uh, the tradition is that he was a little bit younger. Um, and it is quite possible, if not probable that, uh, that they were relatives of Jesus. Our Blessed Mother was oh. related to a priestly family, uh, uh, probably on her mother's side. Uh, I'd have to look at the genealogies, but uh, on her mother's side, it seems she was uh, uh, related to um, to a priestly family. Elizabeth, her kinswoman, was from a priestly family. And the family of John seems to have been a priestly family also. And so this was oh. probably a relative of Jesus. And so being a, a younger cousin, Jesus would have said now t- by his aunt Salome now take care of John you know or t- but uh, James and the James yeah. was 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 the first of the 12 martyred he was not the first bishop of Jerusalem that was probably uh we called James the lesser uh um so does that answer your question yeah that that does can I throw in another one quickly oh sure sure uh, 
Why not? Um, about Mary's parents. Did they yes. um, live in Jerusalem at one time, and or, or were they tradition. living in yes. Nazareth? No, they. Okay. Well, you see, it's like like anybody. You know, you, you you go stay with your aunt in Nazareth, that kind of thing. But there is a house of Joachim and Anna in Jerusalem that's a long-standing tradition, right at the northeast corner of what was the temple. So, at one point, okay. according to the tradition, they would have lived there. So, quite probable. Okay, that so, help. So after after the birth of uh, Jesus, maybe those twenty days before the presentation, maybe she was staying with her parents. Could have been, could have been, but I mean, okay. if you've ever met Jews, they're all kind of relatives. <laughs> you do have the feeling oh. like you're a big, <laughs> feeling you're like in a big family. It's a, sort of like, sort of like Latins. They they sort of have these large extended families, and it's a lovely thing. Mm-hmm. Hope that helps, Catherine. Mm-hmm. God well, bless. Thank, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Nice Bye-bye. to chat with you. All right, let's go to Richard from Sacramento. I've been there too. Richard, what can I do for you? Oh, good. After Well, good morning, Father. It's very nice to, to, to chat with you. I had a question on the Orthodox uh, faith, because I have a friend currently, and, um, <clears throat> you know, just the differences in Scripture with the 151st Psalm, like, why, do, why don't we have that? I understand the Hebrew, um, you know, numbering, you know, like, she'll send me the 60. Uh, second Psalm, it's the 63rd Psalm in our scripture, or opposite, I forget. And the other, the other question would be, the translations, like, where do they come to, like, who did these translations, the um, the translations itself, and can I take um, communion in an Orthodox Church? Is it valid for me as a Catholic? And would well, an Orthodox... No, the Orthodox would not welcome you to communion. They would not welcome you to communion. Uh, we we welcome Orthodox people to communion if they uh, come on their own initiative, uh, and it's especially in a case of, of need. But no, the Orthodox would not. They, there are some Orthodox priests and bishops who recognize the validity of my ordination. There are some who do not. And the, there was a, a text of Scripture uh, uh, that was... Uh, Oh, it, it was it was one of the codexes that was, uh, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Which was published by one of the emperors of of, of Byzantium in Constantinople, of the Eastern Empire, and uh, that's where they that's the text I believe that they would look at as official. Um, we've done a lot more textual criticism, especially in the past hundred years, and we have made our uh, the, the Protestant Reformation tried to sink its numbering of the Psalms and numbering of Scripture according to uh, uh, the the use of Jews, and we in the 20th century uh, kind of went along with that. So uh, that's where the differences are. are um, that's where the differences uh, show up. Now, the 151st Psalm. Um, it comes from the Septuagint, the Greek, the Greek Old Testament, uh, but it isn't in the in the uh, in the Jewish text, so uh, it fell out of use for us. Uh, it, it, it's found in some Catholic Bibles, but most it isn't. So our text is constantly being refreshed 
by textual criticism, and I'm not sure that the Greek the Greeks do that. I can't I can't say with uh, with any authority, but but it's it's a matter of 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 which manuscript uh, we think of as normative. Does that help at all? Yes, thank you. And then real quick question, but I know it's not going to be a quick answer, <laughs> would be the schism. I think when 1054, ah, I believe. Yes. Was that purely, po- was it political and just a power struggle between Rome mostly, and Constantinople? Mostly, mostly. Uh, that, mostly. that Rome Rome had been the capital of the world and Constantine in 324, well, three, I think 314 AD really moved the capital east and he wanted to move the papacy east. He assumed that the Bishop of Rome would come with Rome because that was what Constantinople was called. Constantinople was called Nova Roma, the New Rome. Uh, but from the oh. beginning, it was always called the city of Constantine. So it was considered Rome. And and the, the Bishop of Rome, realizing if he was going to maintain any kind of independence from the the imperial government, said, we're not moving. And uh, Constantine wanted to move as many sacred things into the new Rome as possible to kind of canonize it as a city. And the Byzantine, the Constantinopolitan emperors wanted to move the relics of Peter and Paul. And the Pope said, oh, no, we can't do that. The last people who touched them dropped dead. So uh, the relics stayed in Rome, giving giving an, a certain authority to the Bishop of Rome. Uh, so uh, Constantinople was not considered a, a, a patriarch until 500 years after Christ at the, at the Council of Chalcedon, uh, that, that the original three patriarchal churches were Rome, Alexandria, and Jeru- Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. Jerusalem and Constantinople were added later, and it was clear that Constantinople had a lesser dignity than Rome. And that's incontrovertible history from the Council of Chalcedon. Um, and we have not been getting along since then because Rome had dwindled to a podunk of maybe 20,000 people at the most, surrounded by malarial swamps. And why should this this urban area that was possibly a million people, certainly 500,000, why should they bend the knee to this little this little malarial swamp in Italy? So the politics of it were were the largest uh, factor in it. Does that help? Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate your work that you do. Well, thank you. And, and to this, this lovely woman who is communicating with you, tell her, listen, I love the Lord, and you love the Lord. Let us talk about what we have in common uh, instead of what divides us. I have found that many Greeks are wonderfully ecumenical, and I love the liturgy of St. John Christopher, but then I have found Greeks who haven't the time of day for anyone who isn't Orthodox. So... You know, and that's true of Catholics also. So, in the words of the great American philosopher, Rodney King, can't we all just get along? All right, that said, let us let us go. To, I'm joking. Uh, let us go now to Mike. Are you with us, Mike, from Santa Ana, yes. California? Good. Yes, what can I do uh, for you? I was uh, reading um, Morning Prayer this morning, uh, and uh, in Psalm 80, uh, it talks about the uh, vineyard of the Lord being plucked by passers-by. And I I immediately thought of uh, one of the servant songs. It talks about the Lord, uh, the the servant being, his beard being plucked by passers-by. And I was Hmm, wondering if there's any similarity. For example, does 
is it the same word uh, used in the original? The, the, they were both, oh, good grief. They were both written in Hebrew. And uh, I would like to find out if the same word was used, plucked, uh, in, in, was used in both cases. Well, that would take a little bit of research, but let me see. Okay, let us go. This is Psalm 80, verse 12. Let us look at the word in Hebrew. The word in Hebrew is wa'aruha. <laughs> wa'aruha. Aruha is, is to pluck. Uh, now let us see. What is the other text? They plucked my beard. They plucked my beard. Okay. Let's see if it's the same word. I offered my back to those who struck me. Isaiah 50, uh, uh, verse 6 is the one to which we are referring. And in Hebrew, uh, the word is, uh, no, different word. Uh, um, those who, who, uh, who, the word is, is marat, which means to make smooth, to make bald. It's a different word. I thought it was remarkable the uh, coincidence between those two instances. Well, yeah, I I don't think it's, you know, if the Holy Spirit sort of put that in your mind, I don't think, you know, I've never heard of them associated, but now they are. So, yeah, good. It's a good it's a good call. Why not? So, well, thanks for calling. God bless you, Mike. And I'm honored that you you listen. All right. Thank you. Let's go to you're welcome. Let's go to John from Philadelphia. Hi, Father, Are you with you us, John? Good. What can I do here, for Father. you? Good. You had mentioned that one could be a perfectly observant Jew, yet not believe yes. in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Now, this seems a little bizarre, because every other religion yeah. does believe in some sort of... Like the Vikings are building... They're fighting hard sure. to get into Valhalla. Gypsums making yeah. pyramids. Now, most, most, orth- yeah. most Orthodox Jews believe in 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 uh life after death and they believe in the judgment but it isn't necessary because it's not mentioned in the first five books of the bible it's not in torah so it is not required rabbi lefkowitz said judaism is a religion of practice and not so much of theology so yes you can be a perfectly good jew uh and not not believe in life after death it's not required though most jews i know do so i hope that helps a little bit so there you go Right, Maureen, you, we're, let's, you're welcome. You're welcome, John. Let's go to Maureen from Wisconsin. What can I do for you? Hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call. So this past Sunday, the gospel, according to John, um, mm-hmm. John 1, verses 29 to 34, and he mentions a man is coming after me, ranks ahead of me. Yes. I did not know him, but the reason why I came yes. baptizing with water, da 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 and then he mm-hmm. says, later, I did not know him, so I I think yes. I know, but I'm going back. The, it hit me this time. You know, again, the spirit moved me. All of a sudden, I'm like, well, wait a minute. He left in his mother's womb. And There's music. Him. So, yes, but he hadn't seen him in a few years, possibly. No, what that means is I did not recognize him. I did not realize who he was. Jesus may well have been a disciple of John the Baptist. I know that sounds heretical, but some scholars think that. I didn't recognize who he was i just thought he was cousin jesus and you know in his in his spirit he might have known but in the flesh he might not have been so sure that's a possibility